Welcome to Oncofarm. I'm your host, John Bazaar, uh, and I'm coming to you from my office here in Mountain Home, Tennessee. Uh, and we are brought to you by, uh, as always, the Bill Gatton College of Pharmacy, my employer. Uh, welcome back. We are moving forward with our Foundations of Oncology Pharmacy series. We're really going to the basics. So today we're going to talk about vincristine. Um, and we'll talk a little bit about some of the other vinca alkaloids, but mostly we're going to talk about vincristine because it's the one that's most commonly used and I think the one where there is the most to talk about. So let's get into the aliases. So the brand name of vincristine is Oncovin, uh, which is why you'll see, uh, for example, the O in our chop stands for Oncovin or vincristine. This is commonly abbreviated VCR. Although you shouldn't do it, but if you see VCR, it's probably safe to assume it's vincristine. Some of the early literature calls this drug lorocristine, and there is a liposomal vincristine formulation, the brand name Maripo, which we're not going to talk about. So vincristine uh, is a vinca alkaloid, and it is a natural product sort of derivative of the Madagascar periwinkle and the vinca plant. Um, this is important to pharmacology professors. Uh, you probably learned this in school, and maybe that's what you remember, is that it comes from the periwinkle plant. Why that's important, I mean, it was, you, you can see in your mind right now the slide of the periwinkle flower, or the vinca flower. Why that's important clinically, I don't know, I don't think it is, but pharmacology professors learn about drugs, where they come from, so that's interesting, and that, you know, it's kind of cool. Um, so, in that vein, the, the official name for this flower is... Uh, Catharanthus roseus g. dawn or vinca rosea. Uh, and these, um, uh, so this plant was used as an herbal red remedy for a long time for like hypoglycemia. And that's where it was actually first studied in, in 1949 was to treat, uh, you know, hyperglycemia for, to use as a hypoglycemic agent. Uh, it turned out it was a lot better anti-neoplastic. And in fact, extracts from, um, from the periwinkle plant were given to um, mice in a leukemia model, so uh, a leukemia cell line in mice, uh, and they they did well. Um, uh, they're you know then they died of septicemia because uh, presumably from bone marrow suppression. Um, and we're going to talk about bone marrow suppression or the lack thereof with vincristine, which I think is really important as we move into uh, more about the drug. How does how do these drugs work? So vincristine binds to tubulin, which is really uh, I think of it like a subunit of the microtubule, and the microtubules come together, they form, and then they separate, and that's part of the emphase of the cell cycle. Uh, so what these do is by bonding to tubulin, they actually prevent microtubule assembly, leading to emphase arrest. Um, now, by inhibiting microtubule assembly, that's what leads to the emphase arrest, that's different than, say, taxanes, which actually promote microtubule assembly and then paralyze the microtubules, leading to cell cycle arrest. So both vincas and taxanes work on microtubules, but do so in a different way. Um, but because vincas lead to emphase arrest, and they work only during the microtubule emphase, or during the emphase, when microtubules are in action, they are cell cycle specific, which is uh, one of the reasons you'll see the drugs used the way that they are, which is sometimes uh, as a continuous infusion or given more frequently. So how do we give the drug? So first and foremost, vincristine is only used for hematologic malignancies. So it is the O in our CHOP. It's the O in our EPOC. 
It is in hyper-CVAD. It's in every ALL regimen, including in maintenance. And that's one of the reasons we give maintenance doses periodically is because of that cell cycle specific reason. reason. Uh, Venorobine is used for lung, breast cancer, and then venblastine is mainly used for Hodgkin's lymphoma. Um, uh, you will also see vincristine used for ITP. An interesting thing I learned in, in reading up on this is that there's extensive platelet binding of vincristine, which is probably the reason it was used for ITP back in the day. Not used a whole lot now. As we move into the toxicities, the first toxicity I want to talk about is the lack of bone marrow toxicity. Vincristine at the doses we use does not cause bone marrow suppression. If you, if you ask yourself which vinca alkaloids cause bone marrow suppression, they're the ones that have a B in their name, venorobine and venblastine. Vincristine, no bone marrow suppresses suppression at the doses we use. Vincristine uh, binds with pretty high affinity to, to tubulin, so you don't need a ton of it inside the cell. And because it has really great cell uptake, you don't need a ton of it to inhibit uh, microtubules, which is probably the reason we can use uh, doses that severely um, inhibit microtubule assembly in leukemia cells without causing bone marrow suppression, which is great because the tenet of combination chemotherapy is using drugs with different mechanisms of action with non-overlapping toxicity. So vincristine is one of the few drugs that doesn't cause bone marrow suppression. You can bet it's going to be used in a lot of regimens. And it's, you're, you're hard-pressed to find a frontline leukemia or lymphoma regimen that doesn't have vincristine because it's effective without bone marrow suppression. Uh, <clears throat> so no bone marrow suppression. And one of the reasons that I really want to emphasize that is the drug is part of the hyper-CVAD regimen, uh, which if you're not familiar with hyper-CVAD, more power to you. Um, it's a complicated regimen. Uh, you go and look in the literature for hyper-CVAD. MD Anderson has all these single-center publications. The dosing of drugs are different, especially with high-dose methotrexate every cycle. But essentially, uh, hyper stands for hyperfractionated cyclophosphamide because you get six doses over three days. Vincristine, doxorubicin, and dexamethasone. Now the vincristine dosing is on day one and day 11. It's a very myelosuppressive regimen so everybody gets growth factor. And the question comes up, especially from new fellows, is how do we do the growth factors if they're going to get chemo on day 11? They also get four days of steroids again starting on day 11. And because vincristine is not myelosuppressive, there's no worry about exaggerated myelosuppression by having GCSF, like pegfulcrastim, in your system when you get that day 11 dose of vincristine. That's the concern about giving GCSF or growth factors while you, you know, within 24 hours of getting chemo because what does chemotherapy kill? Rapidly dividing cells. What does GCSF do? Makes our, our uh, hematopoietic stem cell precursors grow even faster. So anyway, hyper-CVAD, you can do your, your pegfulcrastim 24 hours after the end of that doxorubicin infusion. No worries about exaggerated myelosuppression or neutropenia with that day 11 vincristine. Okay, so that's no bone marrow suppression. You got that. dose limiting toxicity is peripheral neuropathy. Uh, and this can often start as sensory neuropathy, fingertips and toes, then onto paresthesias, numbness, finally to pain. It is often reversible uh, upon cessation. So it's something I always ask patients, uh, are you having neuropathy? Can you button your shirt without looking at it? Something that should always be, be assessed. Sometimes that neuropathy can even be an autonomic neuropathy, which can manifest as constipation, ileus, sometimes the loss of deep tendon reflex, and you certainly want to get to it before that. So constipation you'll see as well. Now, because of this neurotoxicity, vincristine is routinely capped at two milligram 
Typical dose is 1.4 milligrams per meter squared IV times one in the regimen. Now there are differences from regimen to regimen, obviously. That's the most common dose, commonly capped at two milligrams. Um, recently, uh, Donald Harvey, big name, director of phase one studies, uh, clinical trials at Emory, uh, he started this hashtag, um, hashtag bad chemo info, uh, basically that you should always cap increasing at two milligrams, uh, which is something that we all learn, right? You commonly capped at two milligrams. So this got me interested, where did this come from? Uh, and if you've listened to some of our, our landmark series and listened to how I describe how some of these early clinical trials are written, there is a subjectivity and maybe um, a naivete or lack of scientific rigor in how some of these studies were designed initially and how the, the results are reported, uh, where they just subjectively describe nausea, for instance. So as far as I can see, there is no study looking at uncapped versus capped vincristine doses within a malignancy saying one is safer, uh, like capping is safer, or that, well, capping does have less neurotoxicity. We do know that. But that not capping leads to greater outcomes. So um, we do know that not capping the dose of vincristine, because think about it, 1.4 milligrams per meter squared for an average American with a BSA of two, you're getting well above two milligrams, and we don't do that. We cap the dose at two milligrams, and that does limit the neurotoxicity. Uh, peripheral neuropathy. Um, however, that's not something we, we that's not proven necessarily. It's just something that is done. It is common practice. So this seems to go back to 1982. Uh, Desai ZR uh, in cancer chemotherapy and pharmacology uh, looked at uh, basically the pharmacokinetic profile and established that this is a dose-dependent effect and that decreasing the dose of vincristine did lower AUC and lower neurotoxicity. And then by 1986, you're seeing clinical trials where vincristine is capped at two milligrams. It seems to have been something that was figured out by people and arbitrarily this two milligram cap was set. That seems to be what happened. Um, I haven't been able to find where that's written yet after uh, fairly extensive searching. Um, so what do you do? You know, because there, there are studies showing that, you know, you can actually give full dose uh, not cap at two milligrams, and you can safely give that. You do see more neuropathy, but lots of times it can be uh, it can be reversible. So what do you do with these patients? Well, what you should do with any chemotherapy regimen is you should look in the original study. Look in the protocol how the study was done and do it the way the study was done. That's how we know that that regimen works. So you know, we, we can predict what the outcomes will be, both efficacy and toxicity. So do the way the study was done. So most common use that you would see of increasing is probably RCHOP. So if we look back at uh, Bertrand Coiffier's New England Journal of Medicine 2002 study of RCHOP versus CHOP in diffuse large B-cell lymphoma patients aged 60 to 80, the vincristine dose was 1.4 milligrams per meter squared, capped at 2 milligrams. The landmark uh, French study from the uh, French adult lymphoma group, but it's like all in French, uh, is 1.4 milligrams per meter squared of vincristine, capped at 2 milligrams. So for RCHOP, we cap at two milligrams. For our EPOC, another lymphoma regimen, uh, the dose is 0.4 milligrams per meter squared over 24-hour infusion for four days. So it really, it's a 96-hour infusion. So that ends up being 1.6 milligrams per meter squared per cycle that's not capped. Now, it's a lower dose per day, continuous infusion. Um, so always go back to the study protocol. And, and if it doesn't call for capping of vincristine, don't cap the vincristine. Do it the way they did in the study. That would be my advice.
the drug is hepatically metabolized. Uh, it's 80% eliminated in the feces. So how did it get in the feces? Through the biliary tract. So we do measure uh, and should evaluate total bilirubin for each dose, and there are dose re uh, reductions for elevated bilirubin. Um, it gets in there by, uh, gets into the bile uh, via metabolism by 3I4, so there are definite drug interactions, especially with azole antifungals commonly used to prevent fungal infections in our leukemia and lymphoma patients, so always evaluate that. General rule of thumb is fluconazole use does not require dose reduction, anything more P450 inhibiting than that, so VORI, postconazole, maybe. And again, I'd, I'd refer you back to the clinical uh, protocol or the original study protocol uh, or you know your institutional or, or local practices. Um, there's one big side effect I have not mentioned yet, and that is that this drug is fatal if given intrathecally. I'm very glad that I have never been involved in this, and I want to give you a little history as to why this happened. So I mentioned that vincristine uh, is used a lot in ALL regimens. Uh, again, doesn't have bone marrow suppression, so it makes a great drug to give with the, you know, an anthracycline or alkylating agents. So common treatment for ALL, especially for all uh, patients with ALL, is also to give intrathecal chemo, so intrathecal methotrexate, intrathecal cytarabine. And in many of the early ALL protocols, there was a dose of IV vincristine that was due on the same day of a dose of intrathecal methotrexate. Two milligrams of vincristine comes in a very small vial. Uh, 12 milligrams of intrathecal methotrexate comes in a very small vial. You're talking two mil, five mil, so really small um, syringes. I mean, so they come in small syringes and either the pharmacist or technician or nurse, whoever was preparing them, would mix up the label or the person administering the intrathecal chemotherapy would grab the wrong syringe and intrathecal vincristine was given and it is universally fatal. So the first uh, attempt to try to prevent this ever from happening is that at least in America, all vinca alkaloids are required to be dispensed from the pharmacy with a, in all caps, fatal if given, I don't know if it's all caps, but a label that says fatal if given intrathecally. Um, the Institute of Safe Medicine Practice has gone a step further and said, you know what? Let's not even make vincristine in a syringe. That way it doesn't get mixed up with an intrathecal chemotherapy syringe. Just put it in a 25 mil piggy bag. No one's going to try and push a, a piggy bag intrathecally. Uh, so that's how we should make vincristine is in a, in a small uh, piggy bag or mini bag. Let it hang. Let it run over 15 minutes. Um, that's the way to do it. Now, when the Institute of Safe Medicine Practice came out with this, some people push back on this, the people administering the drug, because vincristine is a vesicant and there is a risk of tissue necrosis upon extravasation. And um, that's easier to deal with and to accept than accidentally giving the drug and, if you, and causing uh, a fatality. So make it in the, in, the, in, the, in the small bag, give it, if you have extravasation, which is pretty rare nowadays because everybody's got central lines, the way that you treat it would be obviously stopping the drug, aspirating, removing what you can, heat, and then hyaluronidase. If you think back to anthracyclines, doxorubicin is red, so extravasations are treated with a cold compress. With vincas, it's the opposite. We use a warm compress. Uh, hyaluronidase is an enzyme that breaks down hyaluronic, hyaluronic acid, which is basically a connective tissue component, and the enzyme hyaluronidase breaks down hyaluronidic, or hyal, hyaluronidic acid or hyaluronidate 
basically a lot, and the heat also increases blood flow to the area, essentially getting vincristine out of the interstitial tissue, uh, draining through the lymph system into the veins so it can then be metabolized, so it can get away from uh, the interstitium and, and the regular cells. So that's all that you're really doing. And um, that would be the, it's not, so it's not really an antidote, but that would be the treatment for a vincristine extravasation. And finally, if you are a PGY2 resident, this will be a read your mind question that you might get from a preceptor. So what's another toxicity of incristine we haven't mentioned? Uh, and what your preceptor is looking for is SIADH, syndrome of inappropriate uh, antidiuretic hormone, uh, which can lead to um, hyponatremia. So something that's rarely seen with incristine, a little bit with cyclophosphamide. Um, so that's that's something that you'll see in the literature and and sometimes may be asked uh, by a seasoned clinician uh, helping to train uh, our future oncology pharmacy clinical specialists. Uh, that's vincristine. Uh, it's possible that uh, I've missed or forgotten something. If if so, go ahead and at me. Uh, I'm at um, PharmDetanib. That's that's my personal account, John Bazaar, or at uh, the show. That's at OncoPharmPod. Um, if there's something uh, specific you'd like to hear about, uh, please rate, review us on iTunes. In the review, say, want to hear more about, you know, venorobine or uh, drug interactions, whatever it is. Uh, if there's something, uh, if you're a new uh, clinician in oncology pharmacy and you want some basics, let me know what you want. If you're a seasoned clinician, maybe you're a clinical specialist and you really uh, have always wondered, why do we dose cap at two milligrams of incristine? Where'd that come from? Or something similar to that. Let me know and I'll be happy to get into it. That sounds like it would be a good podcast episode. Uh, that's it for me. And uh, I hope to see you all a little further down the road.